Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. And away we go with another Sports Cage here at the corner of 12th and Rose. Windy but still nice fall afternoon in Canada's Queen City. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. I'm joined by my sidekick, Blaine Weiland. Sean Kleisinger coming back from Vegas. Blaine Weiland joining me here, getting set for his NHL team, the Calgary Flames, to take on the Winnipeg Jets. We'll hear from Pat Steinberg, the Fan 960 Calgary Flames radio host, also does work at CFL.ca. We're going to hear from Bob Stoffer, the color commentator on the Edmonton Oilers radio network. They're taking on the Vancouver Canucks. Ottawa's at Carolina, Montreal at Toronto, and Connor Bedard continues his road show at Boston to take on the Bruins. Pats are in action tonight, uh, tonight hosting Calgary, another Wednesday night game, so I think that's Wiener Wednesday. You get the foot-long hot dogs on special. I don't know, Blaine, are you a hot dog guy? Yeah. You are? Yeah. Yeah, you're a good hot dog guy. To but I, li- I like to make my own hot dogs. Okay. Yeah. I like that, yeah. Uh, so the uh, the Pats are handing out their third in a series of six Wednesday night alumni game posters. The first was Eberly. The second was Steele. Both of them joined us on the show, and we have a run of uh, three in a row. Joining us just after 5.30 is the alumni of the game. The first 1,500 get his poster, and we will talk to him after 5.30. I can't tell you who he is before then, but yeah, if you want a poster, series of six that makes a bigger poster, make sure you get down to the Brandt Center early. Back to that... um, Chicago Blackhawks game yesterday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Let's not kid ourselves. The first star was Peter Mrazek, the goalie who was making outstanding saves. Did you watch it, Blaine, when you got home? Uh, I caught the third period of it. By by my streaming was off in the second okay. period. So, but I did caught the third third period. Of yeah, it. and so uh, nice, uh, nice assist by Connor Bedard. He was around it all night. He did not look out of out of shape or out of. Uh, you know, behind the play at all. He doesn't have the explosive blow-you-off-the-map speed, but he's got that deadly shot, and he thinks the game. He is an elite-level player. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I thought it was a decent debut. Uh, obviously got the win with his great and got a point, and uh, yeah, it definitely showed he belonged. There's definitely some things, I'm sure, like to work on, like the face-offs. Yeah, he got school, but Crosby said he sucked in his first year. Yeah. McDavid's only figuring it out right now, so that's something you'll get to. And, oh, yeah. and he's only 185 pounds, so he gets easily pushed over, but that'll come. He's only eight. He's only 18 friggin' years old, right? Hey, did you watch the Vegas uh, ba- banner-raising ceremony? I didn't watch it live, but I caught it uh, wow. this morning, though. It's pretty good. Yeah, it was They good. do it upright. They, yeah. they definitely do it upright in Vegas. They went out 1-4-1. And, of course, we told you it was uh, Nashville uh, falling in Tampa 5-3. to uh, Hey, I was right. The Texas Rangers beat Baltimore 7-1. They sweep them. They're off to the ALCS. I think it's first time since 2011 they've been in the ALCS, if I'm not mistaken. And that uh, Bruce Bochy, best manager in baseball, has got his team 
rolling once again. Uh, Houston, of course, got four dingers and a 9-1 win over the Twins. Um, right now, Philadelphia and Atlanta in the top of the first in Philadelphia, just underway. They are scoreless there. Still to come, Houston at Minnesota at uh, 5.07 our time. Houston can finish off that series. And Arizona at home at Chase Field, just kind of a... It's kind of a drab, dumpy, dark stadium now. I've been there. It's, eh. Anyway, hopefully they'll get some fans in there. When I was there, the 50-50, I kid you not, was 750 bucks. Mind you, it was pre-pandemic. It was 2019, and I was watching Arizona and the Miami Marlins. So you kind of know what kind of game I was watching. But, uh, yeah, I think they finish them off in a sweep, or do the Dodgers win one here? Hard, hard to believe they'd sweep them. Yeah, I just feel like the Dodgers will win at least one, you think. I feel like baseball needs to, like, these playoffs need to like some series to make it interesting. I don't know. It's just yeah. I feel like the Dodgers are going to win tonight, though. Okay, so there's something going on behind the scenes, and I'm digging around, so I'm not going to um, talk about that just yet. But in high school football, they made a switch. So this last week of the regular season, it was supposed to be Miller, 6A team, taking on O'Neill, a 6A team. O'Neill hasn't won a game. Miller hasn't lost the game. Miller's destroying everybody. Um, that's that's something else to mention. And then uh, Greenall is pretty well dominating 5A. So what they've done is Greenall is going to kill Sheldon. So they, they're making Belgoni, the 5A champ, play the 6A champ, Miller, Mosaic, Friday Night Lights, the marquee game, the best two teams, okay? Um and then it's going to be Sheldon against O'Neill. But there's something else I got to figure. I've heard some things, and I'm just doing some digging. And that's all I'll say right now. But it's more than just that. But let's just focus on what I can tell you right now. And here's what I can tell you. Uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Yes, Miller's got a great team, and they they all the accolades upon them. But they are they aggressively recruit kind of like Lebolus used to do because the Catholic schools don't have any boundaries like you can play at Miller even if you don't live in the boundary where the the separate schools have or the public schools have to stick to a boundary that's kind of like okay here's what we're going to do the western teams in the CFL have to play with a salary cap the eastern teams don't <laughs> kind of worked that way sometimes when we used to prop up those teams that overspent but it's stupid. It needs to be changed. It's totally ridiculous. So you can spin it like Belgoni's going to play Miller the best on best. But no, you got to fix that. And I'm a Catholic. My kid went to a my kids went to a Catholic high school, Riffle High School. There should not be a competitive, uh, you know, you know, competitive advantage for one system because they don't have any boundaries in the other system. So I put an asterisk by anything that Miller's doing right now and Lebolas. And then no disrespect to the kids and the coaches that are playing and doing their thing. But come on, when you got an all star team against also Rans, you know, where they can't keep up, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. But there's something else going on there. There's a story in behind the story and I'm digging for it. Okay. Blaine, you were at practice today. You're a busy man. Um, what did you notice at rider practice today? Well, closed practice today, so didn't yeah. Get... But what did you notice in terms of like what the coach said? Well, keeping up the trying to build up the you know positive energy starting off from yesterday and just yeah. kind of you know more of a mentioned a lot about the veterans speaking up. There was a lot of guys stepping up and you know saying words. He mentioned like Micah Johnson was one. Yeah, Peter Godbert today said spoke up and uh, a lot of that of the veterans speaking up and obviously with the added importance for Friday's game. Oh, a huge important. And Peter Godber's a guy fighting through a hand injury. Micah Johnson, what a season Micah Johnson's had. Hey, he's had a really good season. And knock on wood, he's a veteran, veteran guy, and he's been healthy through the whole year, as healthy as you can be. 
Yeah, playing defensive tackle with 35, that's no easy feat, and he's done a, done an excellent job this year. Yeah, and you talked to him yesterday, and we'll get to that interview. Peter Godber battling. There are some guys. I don't think... I know other media types have said it looks like the Riders are just playing for a paycheck. They don't care. I don't think that's the case. I do think this team is lacking confidence. And I know you've asked in different ways, how do you get that confidence back? Maybe it is just one thing that happens, either in practice or more specifically in a game where you feed off it. But you you got to find a way, like in terms of confidence, you got to find a way that if one bad play happens, you don't go, oh, here we go again. And that's where they're lacking confidence, in my opinion. Yeah, just once something bad happens, it just snowballs and goes out of control. And it seems like those turning points where there's losses over these last five games have been, you know, it's not like fourth quarter turning points, whether it's uh, that third down gamble against Hamilton or the the late touchdown before the uh, end of the first half against BC. Uh, It just seems like these plays are not coming, like these crucial plays are not happening during the fourth quarter. So do you think this team has enough talent to do something the rest of the way. Do you think this is just? I don't know what it is. Do you think? Do you think they have the right mix of talent to do something? They got the talent on paper. I think that, like, they do have the talent. It's just, can they mesh it all together? They showed that they could beat BC and Winnipeg, yeah. and the, and and those games were a lot closer than they should have been. So that's what I'm. I'm just at a loss. Uh, it, it's going to take guys like uh, Micah Johnson. Guys like Peter Godbert, guys like Logan Furland, uh, Nick Marshall, um, Derek Moncrief, those kind of guys. But Moncrief's a bit nicked up right now, right? Like he's got maybe, isn't that the coach said? We'll hear from him in a little bit too. Yeah, he's questionable for this week. Okay. With a shoulder neck. So you wonder if, if uh, was, well, you wouldn't know Brunson if he was at practice. Was Brunson there? I just checked the injury report. He's out. He's out. Yeah. Okay. So what, you got the injury report in front of you there? I didn't uh, have it in front of me. Not right in front of me. Let me, let me look here. We'll get to the injury report. Then we're going to phone uh, Connor Bedard's dad and get his take on the Bedard extravaganza that's uh, taken place here in the NHL. Okay, here we go. Let's get the injury report for your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Jackson Ford, hamstring. Tevin Jones, hamstring. Uh, Jake Winicky, healthy scratch. Tremaine Washington, healthy scratch. Derek Moncrief, questionable shoulder neck. Jeremy Clark, out with the knee. Brian Cox, knee. Uh, TJ Brunson, out with the neck, so he won't play. Demarcus Christmas, healthy scratch. And Charbel DeBeer, illness, questionable. There's your injury list, which doesn't look too bad in comparison to other injury lists. When we come back, we'll get on the whole with um, with our friend Tom Bedard. You're listening to The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back to The Sports Cage. We were all excited. I got home, got myself my cabbage rolls, heated up some ham and watched... Connor Bedard against the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. And what a week it is for Bedard. He gets to play Pittsburgh, his boyhood idol Crosby, goes into Boston, an original six team with his own original six team. Then he plays Le Montreal Canadiens at the Forum, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, the Blackhawks don't like, they got like six or seven on the road to start. And with them on the road is his proud dad, Tom Bedard. He joins us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Tom, thanks for taking time out of your schedule. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. What was night number one like for the Bedard family? Tell me about it. It's got to be crazy. Yeah, it's uh, surreal and crazy and stressful and exciting and a bunch of different 
things, but uh, it went pretty well, and we got the win. So all in all, a good good night. So where did where did you sit in a special Chicago Blackhawks fan section? Were you in special seats? What was it like for for Connor's support staff, so to speak? Uh, actually, um, Connor's. Uh, advisor group got on, got us a box. Oh, nice! There, so yeah, it was very nice. Uh, I could stand and pace and what I normally did at, at in Regina. <laughs> that was good. Very good. That is good. Did, how many miles did you put on last night? What was that like for you? Oh, uh, crazy! Like uh, hard to believe and nervous. Like I said, and yeah, it was uh, put on a few miles for sure. Yeah. It was a nice assist he had in the game. I thought he fit in real well. How did you, uh, you know, try to try to not be uh, dad, try to be the hockey man that you are? Uh, the unbiased opinion. How do you think Connor did? I thought he did well. I thought, you know, he seemed to fit in out there. And, I mean, he made a few mistakes, things to work on. But he had some chances that didn't go his way, too. And that's kind of how it's been going a little, like he said. Yeah. Um, a lot of good looks. Yeah. He That's did, what you want. Yeah, he did have a lot of good looks. And like I said, a really a really good assist. Uh, and I thought it was a cool moment uh, when you think about it, how much, and I know your wife loved, uh, I think, uh, if the story goes correct, she likes Sidney Crosby. Your son loves Sidney Crosby. It's kind of cool he got to have the opening face-off and that uh, Kelly Sutherland, the ref, had to say what he had to say there. Yeah, that was uh, that was really amazing. Yeah, it was quite a, quite a night for, for everybody and you know, playing Sydney is just well for for us. It's just it's hard to believe it all took place. Yeah, and 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 take us into that, Tom. Like, what is that like? Uh, ever since he's a little boy, he's loved playing hockey. Probably, I don't know when he wanted to be an NHL player, but to actually be there, see him take the opening face off against his boyhood idol in Pittsburgh, where you know Mario Lemieux and everybody Yager. What's that? What is that like as the dad standing there? Oh, it's a proud moment. I mean, all his hard work and dedication, and finally he gets to, to play that game, and you know, amazing for him and and us, of course, uh, just getting that opportunity. And through all his hard work and dedication, I mean, you know, his dream for to, for today, anyways, come true. He's got to play a game, one game so far in any shuffle. So, yeah. very, you know, very amazing. They they talked about your family's uh, humble nature on the broadcast. Ray Ferraro was talking about how uh, you know Connor said, "Well, if I make the team," and and Tom said, "Yeah, if I." They said, and, and his dad Tom said, "If he ma- like, we don't want to book our flights yet because he's got to make the team." And Luke Richardson said, "No, he's going to make the team." Just uh, talk about how important that humble. Uh, kind of baseline is not only for Connor but for your family going through this because I looked at the picture man 18 years old he's got more cameras and flash bulbs and microphones around him it's crazy experience yeah and I think you just have to take things you know in the old saying you know ship by ship and um, not get too high not get too low if that's possible um, Connor never gets really too too high and more the other way if he has a bad game but you know you just keep things in perspective and and don't get too caught up in all the outside noise and try and have a good shift you know yeah That's how we've always looked at it yeah a lot of people were joking tom bedard about the connor going out and he couldn't find his stick did somebody play a prank on him or did he just leave his stick in a in a spot where he forgot he left it no he always leaves it laid up just outside the door mm-hmm yeah, you know, or in the room, their own room in a certain spot, laid up so it doesn't touch the ground. 
But uh, I think the trainer saw it out there and go, what the heck is this doing here? So he moved back into the stick rack. And so when Connor went out for his uh, rookie skate, the stick was gone, so he had to go back and get it. Here I thought he was going to get fined because people are sending me snapshots because the league did change the uh, rules where if you're new to the league, you got to wear a bucket in pregame warm-ups. But I guess there's that tradition where your first skate, your rookie skate, you can wear your go without the helmet. So uh, uh, that got corrected for me pretty fast. Hey, are you following it? Now you're in Boston. Are you going right through like you go in Montreal, Toronto, the whole gamut here? Yeah, we're going to go Montreal, Toronto. Not going to go to Colorado. That's the final uh, game of the trip, and then we'll probably at least maybe Melanie and Madison will, or all of us will go to the home opener in Chicago on the 21st against Vegas. Mm. And yeah, what, yeah, think about that one. Yeah, that's cool, man. Hey, Tom. Lastly, um, what are you most proud of as it relates to your son Connor Bedard? I just think uh, to watch him work and be so consistent right from the time he was little, like four or five it hasn't changed and it's just unique a, a bit the way he was just so motivated and dedicated to the game uh, you know you can't force that sort of thing and I, I just look at that and it amazes me at times well I was trying to put myself in your shoes and I my, I mean obviously I can I'm watching Mark I'm watching Mark you, were you a Vancouver Canucks fan growing up Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, so so the Moose did play in Vancouver, but I'm an Oilers guy, so you know yeah. Mark Messier. And to see Mark Messier on ESPN, and he's talking so glowingly about your kid, I was, I was wondering what that would be like for you eventually to be sitting on the couch and watching Gretzky or or Mario, or uh, sorry, Messier, or any of those uh, legends talking about your kid that way. What it must be like to listen to that. It must be, must be surreal. It is, for sure, and even him... Connor talking to them like when he was on a few panels with Gretzky or uh, a few other NHLers or you know Chelios is in Chicago so he Mm -hmm. talked to Connor or talked about him and it's just hard to wrap your head around really you know but uh, it is happening. Yeah, so, no kidding, man. And I'll tell you, I feel a goal tonight, Tom. I feel a goal against oh. the Boston Bruins. I think he's going to light the lamp tonight. How about you? I hope so. Yeah, he's been a little unlucky, and yeah, it'd be nice to get that first one out of the way um, for sure. You know, yeah, we'll see how the ladies are tonight after playing and traveling, and it's uh, Boston's home opener, and it's a hundred year anniversary, so they're going to be jacked up and a great team. So hopefully, he can get get one in tonight. Yeah. Hey, my last one for you. When he scores his first goal, does he get to keep the puck or do you and mom get to keep the puck because you paid for all his hockey? I think probably us. I mean, if it was up to him, he'd lose it in his bag or something. So we better take care of it. (laughs) I love it, Tom. Hey, you guys have a great time. You've earned it. And uh, we'll be watching from back here cheering you guys on, okay? Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's Tom Bedard, the great dad of Connor Bedard tonight playing the Boston Bruins. We'll take a break. You're listening to the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back inside the cage, your sports ticker. Major League Baseball, they're in the top of the second in Philadelphia. And right now the score is, well, it's scoreless, Philadelphia and the Atlanta Braves. NHL tonight, every Canadian team is on the ice. We've got Ottawa at Carolina. Carolina is one of the heavyweights in the East. Ottawa trying to uh, get into the playoffs this year. 
Montreal's at Toronto. I think Montreal's going to be the worst team in the NHL this year, or in the uh, as far as Canadian teams go. Um, Winnipeg's at Calgary. Some people like Blaine of both of those teams making the playoffs. I have Ottawa making it and Calgary making it, not Winnipeg. Uh, Edmonton is at Vancouver. And if you just missed it, we had Tom Bedard on. He's in uh, Boston to watch his son, Connor Bedard, take on the Boston Bruins as the Blackhawks are there, coming off a 4-2 win over Pittsburgh, where they rattle off four consecutive goals. And in the Western Hockey League tonight, the worst team in the East, the Pats, will be hosting the worst team, the Calgary Hitmen. And that's your sports ticker. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the sports cage. Right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Welcome back inside the sports cage. Michael Ball along with Blaine Weiland. Hardest working guy in show business this week. He is uh, not only reporting, he's operating for me, operating the Pats game tonight. Pats taking on the Calgary Hitmen at 7, pregame show 635. Yesterday he caught up with big Micah Johns, and here's Blaine's interview with him. I guess, Micah, we always talk, you guys always talk about that 24-hour flush, or was this last one a little bit tougher to flush out that, in terms of that loss? Um, I don't think it's any more tougher than the, you know, the past few, honestly. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, all of them, all these last few games, we've lost. I feel like they've held some weight. Do you think this weekend requires some soul searching, whether it's an individual or the team? Uh, yeah. I mean, anytime you know you lose, it requires that, and let alone losing multiple games back to back. So, I definitely think it's um, you know, it's a crossing road for the team. In terms of confidence, where do you find confidence as a football team? Is that something that you know an individual brings to the locker room that the team builds it up during the week, or is that something that happens during the game? Um, I think you got. I think you got kind of got to have it in you as an individual. But then I think kind of how the games play out and just the course of the game, how the plays go, and just winning in general builds confidence. And um, just lo- losing in general kind of have you just you know just questioning, looking at things. How did you feel things start off this week in terms of a big week uh, coming up on Friday? I mean, I think it's good. I think guys are dialed in. I mean, it's just understanding that it's not over with. What we um, want to set out to attain, we still can. Um, we just got to come out and win. So I think that's always the, uh, the the bright spot is the fact that you know we can still you know we can still get to the playoffs. Seems like the big message today was uh, three E's: energy, execution, and emotion. Just want to talk about those threes. Um, it's, it's, I don't think that's necessarily nothing new. It's kind of been there all year, but I just think um, we hit. We got to do all three E's in the same game. You know what I mean? I think sometimes we'll lull in execution. And um, the past couple of weeks, I think we have fell flat with a little bit of energy. And, um, yeah, so I definitely think, um, the, you know, the three E's coaches highlight, you know, we, we get those in order, we'll be good to go. When you're stuck in this rut, but you're obviously facing a big game this week, is this something where you got to come in with a clean mindset or you got to go back to the routine of what worked for you in the past? Um, no, nah, I don't think you got to uh, sweep, uh, go clean sweep, man. I think you, you got to kind of use it for motivation. You know, you got to amp it up. It's... To me, I go into the games, you know, you, it's on the front of your mind. You coming out trying to – I don't think it's something necessarily I feel like you should sweep it to the back of your mind, you know what I mean? I just feel like it's something that you should use it to kind of play with the extra chip on your shoulder, understanding the situation you have been, the losses that have occurred. So, you know, what are you going to do to change it? Uh, the fact that the, the, the motivation for this game, it's, it's pretty simple, you know, what the stakes is on the line Friday. Yeah, it's super simple, man. You know, it's, it's win and get in. I don't think it can get any simpler. 
I don't think it's a way to make guys more motivated or anything like that. Like I feel like if you don't understand the position we're in and and you don't understand the stakes and the 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 energy that's required, you know, at this point, then I kind of feel like, you know, shame on you. Seems rare the Calgary's that you're you know in your time in your league. This seems like a rare situation for an organization for like the Stampeders facing their playoff lives on the on the line this early in the season. Uh, it does, man. I mean, just the league's changing. Just just um, everything could change. I don't think anybody's guaranteed anything every season, and that's just you know proof of it. Every every season, every game, you got to come out and earn it. In terms of confidence, we we're talking about confidence. Can you use the results earlier this season when you guys played Calgary as a source of confidence? Not really, man. I think it's so much has happened between then. I think it's just about, you know, I think that'd be a, you know, a detrimental thing if you're thinking about the last game and the time we played them and we won. I mean, that game, we went to overtime with them. We could have went either way. So I kind of think it's just focus on it now. Is there any kind of short-term goals that you guys can build up this week leading into the game for Friday? No, just a win. Just a win. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. All right, time to head on the Western Pizza Hotline. Speak with one of the uh, broadcasters on the Calgary Flames Radio Network, the Fan 960. Pat Steinberg does excellent work there. Also at CFL.ca, so you know we'll get into a little three-down talk. But let's uh, talk about the Calgary Flames. First of all, first time on the show with me. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking time out of a busy day. Good to be here, man. I, uh, I'm a big fan from a province over. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. So the preseason's finally over. How has this team responded to the new head coach, Pat? So far, so good, I think. Um, I think that what we've seen is a team that is a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more positive. Um, there's a different vibe around this group. There's no doubt about it. And And last year was miserable. Last year was a a really frustrating year and a year that I think players wanted to forget as, as soon as humanly possible. And so for that reason, I think you bring in a new coach, you bring in a new general manager and both guys kind of exude a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of positivity. I think that gives you a different vibe right from the get go. And then when you mix in the fact that there are a lot of players on this team who want to prove that what happened last year where they missed the playoffs and, and fell short of expectations by a significant margin. I think they want to prove that last year's narrative was not what they're all about. And so whether it's Jonathan Huberto or Nazem Kadri or, uh, Noah Hannafin or Elias Lindholm, Mark, Jacob Markstrom, players that maybe had down years last year. I think they're all out to prove that, hey, you know what? No, this is, this is a good team. And what people were saying about us coming into last year is legit that we're, we're a team that, you know, we believe we can be one of the better teams in the Western Conference. So that remains to be seen. And it remains to be seen what a new vibe and what a new, um, kind of more positive approach how it actually translates on the ice, but definitely for three weeks of training camp, it's been a, a very markedly 
different feeling group. And now tonight we see how that plays out, starts to play out anyway, when it comes to results that matter. I think Calgary takes a playoff spot uh, at the expense of Winnipeg, in my opinion, as they match up tonight. I've got, um, I, I think Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, and I think Ottawa squeaks in. I got four of the seven making the playoffs from Canada. How many do you have making the playoffs from Canada? Okay, so Edmonton for sure. I think Calgary finds a way to squeak in. I think Toronto for sure. Uh, so that's three. Now I'm a little more. I'm a little more bullish on Winnipeg, and the reason why is that I am not a big believer in Minnesota, mm-hmm. especially right off the get go with the injuries they have. They're already thin on the blue line. I'm still not sold on their goaltending as strong as it was at times last year. So I think Winnipeg even has an opportunity to get in as potentially one of those three central spots. So I'm going to go, I, I think Ottawa's pushing. I think Ottawa's close, but I don't have them in. Uh, I don't think, I know a lot of people look at Vancouver as a group that is ready and, and poised to take a next step. I still don't buy the Canucks. So I think Edmonton for sure. I think Toronto for sure. And then I've got Calgary and Winnipeg as kind of middle of the pack. And and for the Flames, maybe more of a wild card situation uh, getting in. So I've got Winnipeg is as the three in the central. Mm -hmm. I've got Calgary as one of the two wild cards. And then Edmonton and Toronto is as my check mark. So I'm at I'm at four or seven as well. Uh, okay, and I, I can't argue with what you said there. And uh, I uh, I bow to your hockey expertise as opposed to mine. I'm more into the gridiron, although I do love my my hockey. And, and shall I say I'm an Oilers guy? But uh, I respect what the Flames are doing. I think they are going to have a bounce back here. Uh, speaking of uh, Calgary, staying with that. Uh, you know, football is the most, uh, quarterback's the most important position in North American sports, in my opinion, but the goaltender in hockey would be a close second to me. Markstrom, he's got to bounce back, and I think he will. Yeah. I do too. Um, the question is to what extent. So it's really like Jacob Markstrom's last two years have been very strange in that. Last year, the worst year of his starting career, the year before the best year, mm-hmm. and, and really in both cases, not even close. So when you're talking about Jacob Markstrom bouncing back, I try to take the last two years out of the equation. I don't think he's going to be the 892 goalie he was last year. I don't think he's going to be the nine shutouts, 920 goaltender he was the year before. I think you start to look at Jacob and say, okay, what are his career norms? And he's usually in the 55 to 60 start range, and and he's usually around the 912 save percentage range. And if you can get that from him this year, I think the Flames – give themselves a much better chance of making the playoffs. And then also important in this is, is Dan Vladar his backup because both guys struggled pretty mightily last year. Both guys had, had down years. Calgary was a bottom third team in terms of team save percentage and team goaltending. So when you take into account both sides, both, both goaltenders, they both need bounce back years, but of all the players, that need bounce back years for the Flames this year. And there's a lot of them. Jonathan Huberdeau had the most historic year-over-year points drop in NHL history. And Lindholm had a down year. And Andrew Mangiapane went from scoring 35 to scoring 17. And that was a big drop. But to me, there's no question that it starts with Jacob Markstrom. And, and, and probably almost inarguably so. They cannot have bottom third NHL goaltending if they want to be a playoff team. They cannot have their... $6 million goaltender being in the 
70s and 80s when it comes to his overall save percentage. So he needs to be better, and he he even has a different demeanor. Like, he is a different guy this year. So I think he will have a bounce back here. It's just I'm expecting him to bounce back into the 9-12, 9-15 range and not be back to being a runner-up for the Vesna Trophy because I do think that was a, a career season. I had Bob Stoffer from the Oilers Radio Network on the show earlier, asked him which younger Oiler will be uh, you know, a standout and make an impact. He said Dylan Holloway. So I'll ask you the same thing. Which younger player will have the most impact on the Flames this year? Well, the easy answer is Matt Coronado because he is mm-hmm. uh, he's a first-round pick from 2021, made the team out of camp, was their leading scorer in preseason, and, and has generally had himself a really, really good run here. And I think that he's a player to keep an eye on. But he's, you know, I, I think he's going to hit a wall, and I think there's going to be the, the rookie growing paints and all that type of stuff. So the player that I'll point to is Dylan Dubé. And, you know, I, I still think he counts as, as one of the yeah. young players on this team. And why I say that is because every year he's taken a step and every year he's gotten a little bit better and he's added a little bit to his point, a little bit more to his point total. And, and this year I feel like is the year that it really kind of all comes together and pops for Dylan. Uh, he's going to start on the right side of their top line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberdeau. So he's getting an opportunity to be in a high leverage spot right away. And he's historically played well with Lindholm as his center. And he's historically looked very comfortable playing with him. So I, I think Lindholm's going to get, I think Dubé rather is going to get lots of looks this year and lots of different opportunities to really pop. So Coronado's the easy one. And I think, I think having, you know, 15, 20 goals out of a rookie in Coronado is not out of the question. But I, I think if Dylan Dubé, if we were to see him move towards the 20 goals, 50, 55 points range this year, would not surprise me at all. And that would be a really big boost for him. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll go with Dylan Dubé on that one. This is the outstanding Pat Steinberg from the uh, 960, the fan in Calgary, Flames radio host, also does some work at CFL.ca. So let's shift gears. Friday, yeah, it's the uh, Riders and the Stampeders. In the past, we'd say this is an epic battle. It is not that way right now. Pat, <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to put it that way, but it's true. Calgary's having one down here for the first time in like 17 or 18. The Riders are in the midst of two down years here. Hopefully for them, they can uh, win the game and uh, get to the playoffs. But what do you make of these two teams? Well, it's the most important game I can remember between uh, combined 10 wins two teams because mm-hmm. um, it, it really like it's the only playoff spot still up for grabs and there there is a lot riding on this game and yet in a lot of ways it feels like a turtle derby because the riders are in the skid they're in the stampeders are in the skid they're in and what what i guess heartens me a little bit is that the two times they've played this year, the games have been bonkers. The game like that, that game's mm-hmm. last one at McMahon Stadium was a lot of fun to be at. And then obviously Calgary won with the walk-off at Mosaic a couple of weeks later. So like both games they've played have been really competitive and full of like really awesome and, and highlight real worthy moments. So I'm hoping we at least get that again. What do I make of the game? I, I, I honestly don't know because I, I, I don't know what to expect on any given night from Jake Mayer and this offense. They've been so pedestrian of late. They've been 
so unwilling to stretch the field. And so because of that, I, I don't know what you can actively expect from from this offense. Um, and, and it seems like all year when one element of Calgary's game is on, the other one is the complete opposite. So they've had nights where Micah Awe and, and Cam Judge and, and Mike Rose and, and some of their playmakers who are in all-star conversations have great nights and the offense can't get it done. Or then there'll be a night where Jake Mayer goes off for 470 and throws three touchdowns and, and looks like the guy the Stampeders need him to be, and they can't make a stop. And so they've had such a hard time having every facet play even close to in sync this year that you, you never know what to expect from the Stamps. So, I I mean, right now, I I, I think the Stampeders are the team that um, is, is maybe, and, and it's funny to say, it feels like maybe they're reeling a little bit less just because mm-hmm. it's they, they've been so close in a lot of these games. Whereas on the Sask side, there's been a lot of high totals put up against them. And some of these games have kind of been games that are going away wins for the other team. It maybe feels like the Stamps are reeling a little less. And that's why over at .ca, I chose the Stamps to win this game. But I think it's close, Mike. I think it's another one-possession game. I think it's right down to the wire, and it's crazy what happens if the Stamps win this game. All of a sudden, it's buckle up, and obviously the Riders can punch their ticket to either BC or Winnipeg if they win. So I think we should see at the very least the most urgent game we've seen from both of these teams in a long time. Absolutely. Last question for you, and I'll let you go on a busy day. So uh, I don't fire anybody on this show. Uh, but I will say our our coach Dickinson could be in some uh, trouble if things don't go the right way here. How about the coach Dickinson, his brother in Calgary? I would think he gets a, a one year's grace that they they've had a pretty consistent program there. I I think so too. I think that you know if this ends the way it's trending and they're a non playoff team, I still think he gets some grace. I think one of the things that'll help is. Just how and and the riders have been very similar. I mean, they mm-hmm. you lose you lose the guy that you know they they went out centered their off season around and Trevor Harris and that, that's a significant loss. And the Stamps have dealt with significant injuries and significant names on the sixth game all year. So I think that gives him a little bit of grace. And it's also his first year as general manager too. So I just I think they give him a little bit. Of, of extra time, a little more leash. There's no doubt that this has not gone over well. There's no doubt that this has been a disappointing season, and we're not used to this in red and white in this city because, as you mentioned, it's been almost two decades of this mm-hmm. being a playoff team automatically. But I think he gets another year, and I think he should. You know, just the, the track record that he's got, it probably makes sense to not make a hasty decision once this season comes to an end. Pat, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Enjoy the hockey game tonight. Hey, thank you, Mike. That was awesome. 620 CKRM is proud to be the official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports talk anywhere. This is the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. All right, the NHL season started last night, but it starts in earnest for all the Canadian teams, and we're joined by 
Friend of the show, guys, a regular contributor, the outstanding color commentator on the Edmonton Oilers radio network, Bob Stoffer. You also see him on Sportsnet in the intermissions with Gene Principe and the gang. Uh, you start in Vancouver. Before we go to the Oilers, because we've talked about them a few times, Bob Stoffer, what do you make of the Vancouver Canucks? It's funny. Before, a couple days ago, I had Vancouver in the playoff balls. And now, because of Winnipeg getting both Shifley and Hellebuck done, I think that's going to be a positive energy boost for the Jets, and I got the Jets ahead of the Canucks. I think the Canucks will be better than they've been, but they've missed the playoffs seven of the last eight years. I think they're a little light on the fence. I don't like their bottom six forwards. I do like to pick up a Lafferty, uh, but they got caved in. They had the worst penalty killing in the league last year, and they have the second worst save percentage. I do think the save percentage will improve. Dr. Demko, I think, is a pretty good goaltender. Talkett went 2012 and four when he took over. Uh, they're, they can score a bit in their top six. I think they got a. I think they're going to be a bubble team. Is what I think. So okay. remember the Jets gets in, and I want you know, I, I got Calgary in all day, you know, and I, I obviously I got the Oilers uh, competing. I mean Edmonton was two points out of first place last year in the West. So I think Vancouver's going to have a, a better season than they had last year. They'll have a better start. They lost their first seven games. Demko was not very good early. He's a key for them. Still a little concerned about their depth, and I don't always understand some of their moves. Like, <laughs> they make some interesting moves at times. Bob, I've got four Canadian teams in the playoffs. I've got the Oilers all day. I've got the Leafs all day. I agree with you on the Calgary Flames, and I think the Ottawa Senators sneak in. Usually teams... Uh, you know, there's a turnover with teams that made the playoffs the year before. I have the Islanders, the Bruins, and the Jets as three that won't make the playoffs from last year. Well, I'm, I mean, you can make an argument that that's fair. I mean, everybody looks at Boston. Now, Boston's got a super easy schedule out of the gate. Mm. I think they played seven straight games against non-playoff teams last year. But they don't have Birds running. They don't have Krejci. So the Jets, I actually think, you know, I think Bonus is a decent coach. They've got pretty good defense. They got a good goalie, and they can score a little. So, but they're and they've got a good third line center in Adam Lowry. Mm. Uh, and sorry, who was the other one you had missing? Come I back. had the Islanders missing. Yeah, I think they'll. I, I think they'll be okay. Uh, you know, I, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, older veteran team. So mm. that's. I've got them in the playoffs, but it, and I do not have Ottawa in the playoffs. And I think Ottawa's franchise has changed since basically they drafted Brady Kachuk. He's a heck of a player. Yeah, he is. Uh, Bob, which coach is on the hot seat? The the, the coach in St. Louis, the coach in Ottawa. Um, those would be the two, and maybe Rick Bonus in Winnipeg. Which one's on the hot seat? The the which one has the hottest seat early on? Well, I don't think it's Rick Bonus because I think True North is a very pragmatic organization. They don't overreact to situations. So let's take Winnipeg out of the mix. I mean, basically, Paul Murray's fired himself. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Uh, so I, I don't see Rick Bonus being in trouble. Uh, I do think St. Louis will be better this year than they were. I mean, I got Craig Thomas coming up on orders now. He joins us every week, and he was on that staff last year. I think St. Louis will probably be a little bit better than they were last year. So... I know you got Ottawa making the playoffs, but there's one big thing that works against DJ Smith. Mm-hmm. New ownership and basically a new man at the top of the food chain, Steve Stales. Now, that said, Stales has history with DJ from their time together in the OHL. Some of that matter, Michael Adler. But I, I will say DJ Smith. If Ottawa gets off to a slow start, I could see him walking the plank. 
Okay, let's talk the Oilers now. You know them the best. So who's the starting goalie? Is it Campbell? Is it Skinner? Do we have one? Uh, I'm going to – so here's, here's the deal. I'm going to guess it's Skinner. Uh, I do not 100% know. Uh, but uh, I think an argument can be made that, you know, the coach has history with Skinner. They won a Pacific Division title in the, the, the year in the AHL where the Pacific Division was the only division that actually had a playoff. It's a weird year that year. In the in the pandemic year mm-hmm. uh, during the 2021 season, so you know Skinner wrestled the number one job away. I think Stewart's going to get the call, but I got to tell you, Jack Campbell played great preseason. Like he stopped, uh, I think it was 101 out of 104 shots, and he basically, you know, the Oilers in five league games only gave up one goal against. Now I know it's preseason, but two of those three games that he, you know Campbell played, he was first start. He stole games on the road. So, compelling argument can be made either way, but I would suggest that Stuart Skinner is going to start. So, are the Oilers going to sacrifice a bit of goals for more concentration on defense? Because really, that's the way to win a championship. Yes. How's that for a that, response? That's a good so response. Switching to more of a zone defense, yeah. uh, making sure they've always got a D man in that front. You know, you, you look at what happened, and, and Vegas shot the lights out in the playoffs in every series. Like, they made every goal. They didn't just make Stuart Skinner looked bad. They made Connor Ellibuck look bad. They made Jake Ottinger look bad. They made Sergey Barrowski look bad. Because uh, Vegas has got a good team and can score off the rush. And they can also score off of extended cycles. And that's where, I'm, I mean, Drysaddle's line head-to-head against Cycles' line and with the nurse CC pairing out with, uh, uh, you know, out with Drysaddle. That was the group that got, you know, sort of taken apart five-on-five. And it was, in, it was really in two games. I mean, if you take a look at it, it's it's funny how much consternation there's been in oil country, uh, but the orders were that close. I mean, it was 2-2 after the first four games of the series, and they were up in game five, and they were up in game six. At the end of the day, Edmonton Michael had leads in all six games. You can't lose four of those games in regulation. You can at least get a couple of those games to overtime to give yourself a chance. So mm-hmm. there will be a greater emphasis, uh, more of a zone defense, Little, you know, initially they were sort of playing a little bit more of a passive neutral zone. I think that's going to change a bit. Uh, the four check will still be fairly assertive. And of course, I got the world's best power play. So, uh, perception is everything in facts are negotiable. And you pointed it out. It was perceived the Oilers got, uh, got, uh, walloped by Vegas, but they were leading in every game. But through your eyes, what's the perception of this team? Are they, are they more focused than last year? Like, is there a, uh, is there a determination to win this thing? The, the time is now. They know that. And the lineup that, and there's some contributing factors. Marcus Nimalainen. Uh, has not made the trip. He was dealing with an upper body injury. He, he had to be on the active roster. The Oilers only have 11 forwards here. Uh, I will make a prediction that you could see at minimum one and possibly two forwards added between now and the NHL trade deadline that have some size to play specifically in the Oilers' fourth line. I think that they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to roll with Holloway and McLeod and Fogel and try to give those guys lots of minutes. They need Holloway and Broberg take a step forward here. These guys were first-round picks for the Oilers, but unequivocally, the time is now, and that's the mindset of the players who have had their hard hats on since Labor Day. Like They came in early, three weeks before training camp, to start their captain skates, uh, their focus. All right, and uh, should we be concerned that Ekholm didn't play in the preseason? You know, there's a chance Edmonton may only go 11-6 and six tonight. They might not have a seventh defenseman to go. I mean, 
I would say there'd be less of a there's less of a concern with a 33 or 34 year old veteran because he knows exactly what his body can do, maybe versus a 23 or 24 year old guy. But it's a fair. I mean, he, he went plus 28 uh, in the 21 games that he played for Edmonton. The Oilers had the best record in the NHL after they acquired Matias Eckholm. Now that said, Edmonton had a very easy schedule down the stretch. Mm-hmm. So um, he's he's an important part of the team. There's no question. The Oilers, one thing you're going to see, Michael, is you're going to see, I think, a concerted effort to balance the minutes out a bit. That's why it's important that Holloway and Fogel have traction with McLeod. That line needs to play 13 and a half to 14 minutes a game. And then on defense, they don't need Nurse playing 26 minutes. And, you know, at home playing 20 minutes and Kulak playing 18, on the left side, that means Nurse plays 22. So, uh, you know, at home is a big part of this. Okay, and lastly, I don't know if you had a chance to uh, watch the game or see the highlights. Your impressions on Connor Bedard's first game in the NHL? Well, it was noticeable to skate. Like, he's just, because I'm watching the other Connor, and he's the most explosive skater, you know, we've ever seen play. I mean, Bedard's got an unbelievable shot. He's smart, he's creative, he's competitive, but he is not an explosive skater. And so he's he is going to score. Like, I would be stunned if he didn't score 30 to 35 goals and have 65 to 70 points. Mm. Yeah, and he doesn't have a lot of support in Chicago, but I think he's that good of a player. You know, Connor McDavid was basically just a little bit better than a point per game in his first year, but he dealt with a serious shoulder injury during the season. Um, but his skating was breathtaking. So, in my watching Bedard, he's you know he's smart, he's skilled, he's got better use of his stick than I think anybody that's ever come out of junior before. Like he knows how to you know, change release points and all those sort of things. Uh, and I just, he's it, just not an explosive skater. So with that in mind, lastly, is he a gen, like they're pumping him up. Like he's a generational player. Like, you know, it was, he cr- is. You, you do you, Marcel Dion. Okay. That's who he is. And people like your old schoolers listen to the show right now, you know, stocky five, eight, five, nine, right shot guy. Marcel Dion had more points in his NHL career than Gila Fleur. Mm-hmm. But people consider Gil Fleur to be the better player. Marcel Dion had, um, I think, 10 40 plus goal seasons and six 100 plus point seasons. Like, he was a heck of a player, offensive player. He had a longer career than Gil Fleur. He just, I, the, the thing with Bedard that I worry about is he, the only thing that limits him is at this stage, he's not quite an, like, in Dry Seidel's case, I knew it was coming. I knew that he was going to put the time in and become a better skater. In Bernard's case, I just don't know if his frame is going to allow him to be an elite, like a top, you know, when I mean like a top 10% skater in the league, but he's so good with the stick and so offensively creative. That's where the similarities for me are like Marcel Dion, who, by the way, is a Hall of Fame player, one of the top 10 scoring players in NHL history. One of my favorite chats every week is with this guy, Bob Stoffer. Enjoy the call tonight. Have a great uh, game. Flattery gets you everywhere. Thanks, Michael. And now, modern-day Roman Empire dudes. My friends and fellow Romans, we gather for tonight's baseball playoffice, Gamius. And even though we root for different teams, Sleazebagius, may mine get many grand slammius. Doubtful numbnutsius. Will your son, Gen Zeus, be joining us? Sorry, Dorkwaticus, for I cannot attend. I'll be at my college fall formulas, wearing a tuxedoist. 
Well, son, wordius of advicius, don't, don't forget, forget the Trojans. Trojans. <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. <laughs> Join us next time for Modern Day Roman Empire Dudes. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And that one ricochets into the near corner. Now Taylor Hall off escape. Rebound. Bedard had a great chance. The puck is free in the crease. But the whistle stops the play. Get a stick on it. So this one is released so quickly. Now Bedard comes jumping in for the rebound. And Jari makes two stops on him. This vision that something great's going to happen all the time in every shift, it won't. But that last shift, when he had the couple of shots and the rebound chance is released, is so special. It's it's hard to, to ignore it. And we saw it in that first period. The corner, back for Vlasic. Bedard, nifty pass for Vlasic with a lot of room. He put it on that rebound goal. Ryan Donato has Chicago on the board. And Connor Bedard's got his first National Hockey League point. As you heard right there from ESPN's broadcast, Connor Bedard playing against his boyhood idol, Sidney Crosby, had an assist in his first ever NHL game and did not look out of place at all, buzzing around all night. His team went on to win 4-2, rallying for four straight goals to ruin the Penguins' home opener. Our clutch performer for Nick Service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Give him a call, 781 1077 is the Chicago Blackhawks, Connor Bedard. All right, I'm joined with Logan Ferland and Logan. I know you guys always talk about that 24 hour flush, but was this one a little bit tougher to, you know, go through? Yeah, of course it's tough. I mean, uh, especially on a night when, we, you know, we're recognizing the people we're recognizing. Um, it's tough. I mean, uh, we got to be better in all facets of the game. Was this weekend one where, you know, everyone kind of had to do some soul searching? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, you know, the, the whole team from top to bottom, I think, is doing soul searching, whether it's whether it's uh, from from the coaches to the players. Everyone's got to figure out what we uh, what we can change and what we can do differently. And uh, obviously going a more positive direction. In terms of finding confidence, where do you find that as a team? Is that something that, you know, an individual brings to the locker room? Do you guys build it up during the week in practice or is that something, you know, that happens during a game with a big play? No, I think it's building up during the week, uh, during the beginning of the week. You know, we talk about that, that slow burn uh, from the beginning of the week to the end. And then, you know, by the end, uh, you're, at, you're at max capacity there and you're ready to go. So I think it's, uh, you know, all these games, they're, they're, you know, they're one or two plays away and they're, they're a lot closer than people think. And, it, you know, it's a lot of the same struggles that their team team went through. So that's what we're holding on to and that's what, uh, how we're treating each day. And we're just trying to get better each day and focus on the simple things. Seemed like a big focus of the practice today was energy, emotion, execution. You want to talk about those three, three, three E's? Yeah, I mean, uh, you need that energy. You need that high energy every day, and uh, you need to be motivated and, and show your guys that same energy and continue to pass it off. If someone's feeling down, they need to get that energy up. Um, you know, emotion, we got to keep our emotions in check, and uh, we also want to keep our emotions positive. You know, we want to block out all the outside outside noise. And uh, execution, we, we need to uh, execute each play, execute our our job, and that's, that's all that matters is each person's job in there, and that's all I care about 
was doing my job, and that's going to better the team. How did you feel the mood was to start this week? Uh, you know what, it was, it was uh, somber at first, and then uh, it's reset mode. Like you said, that 24-hour flush, um, once you hit that, it's on to the next. It doesn't matter. Our score is previous. doesn't matter. we got to win the next game. So that's, that's the mentality each week. Was the running game at all, you know, can you use that from last week's game, the, the fact, you know, you got Jamal over 100 yards? Is that something you could build it for this week? Yeah, for sure. That was one of the more positives. That was one of our bigger running games, right? So um, in O-line, in that aspect, we had, a, we had a decent run game. So, you know, we can build off of that. And, uh, you know, teams are going to be scheming against that to try to stop that now. So um, the more we can run the ball from an O-line aspect, we love that. So uh, we're going to do whatever's called, but uh, it definitely helps uh, the energy in there. How big of a factor is the fact it's continuity this week? The fact you guys didn't lose anyone last week, you still got the same guys this week. Yeah, again, con continuity is huge, and that's really the main main key in an O line is is continuity. And most places on the field is continuity. The more those guys can play beside each other, uh, the more we can we can execute and uh, uh, continue to build the team up. When you're looking back at the film, is this something in terms of schematically that you guys are struggling with? Or do you think it's just man-on-man, -man, you know, going one-on-one -on -one against this opposing defense? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, coaches are going to focus on what they can fix, and we're going to focus on what we can fix as players. And that's that's really what it comes down to for me. I control what I can control, which is uh, my job, and that's it. And that's all I'm focusing on. Can you use uh, the earlier matchups against Calgary as a source of confidence, or is that too far away, you know, since it was way back in June, July, you guys played them? I mean, it's tough. It's You look back at those games, and we, like, we, we've improved a lot from that game. As, you know, despite what people may say, we have, you watch the technique on the film, and it doesn't even look the same uh, compared to now. So I think we can build on that and uh, try to look at what we have fixed by then and what we need to improve on from, compared to that. In terms of motivation factors, is the fact that the stakes that's that's lined up on Friday just enough for this week? I mean, uh, we get we get our motivation each week. Uh, you know, each each guy gets their motivation from from a different place, right? So I think it's about resetting and uh, each guy individually having his motivation, and then having our our team execute everything as one. Time now for your sports ticker, brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781-2090. Uh, Major League Baseball updated score. Just got to get that for you. We know uh, that uh, the Braves were winning in Philadelphia, but that's not the case anymore, folks. No, no, no. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies have themselves a 6-1 lead in the bottom of the fourth with uh, one out and one on third base. So the Phillies poised to take a 2-1 series lead in that. NLDS, the other NLDS tonight, the Dodgers are in Arizona. Arizona's up two games to none. And Houston's at Minnesota. Houston's up two games to one, can clinch that series. NHL, every Canadian team is on the heist, as they'd say in Slapshot. Edmonton at Vancouver, Winnipeg at Calgary, Ottawa at Carolina. Montreal visits Toronto, Chicago at ba uh, Boston. Pats host Calgary. The broadcast will be on our airwave 635 with a pregame show. And so far, since 2006 through 2000. 2015, Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL. He's made about 500 million bucks. Apparently, they're poised to sign him to another contract extension, which could add another 200 million dollars to his coffer. So he is making them money. So they're paying him money. 
That's how it is. Uh, and the Rough Riders have cut two. American receiver Kendall Watson and American defensive back William Poole III, former Georgia Bulldog national winning championship DB in 2021, played last week against Hamilton, and now he has been released. That's your sports ticker. The Sports Cage is your voice for football, not only in the province, but around Canada. This is the Sports Cage CFL Report, a look at what's happening in our three-down game. Time now for the CFL Report. Rough Riders are three-point dogs on the road for Friday's big game in Calgary. A win and they make the playoffs. The Stamps need to win just to keep their flickering playoff hopes alive. But I think because the Riders pulled a no-show in the last game, that's why the odds makers are leaning in favor of Calgary. Even though it's coming out of Calgary that their great veteran receiver, almost half their offense, Reggie Bagleton, won't suit up in that game. Let's hear now from Riders quarterback, Jake Dolagala. I think guys are, you know, I think they're ready to go. They're refocused. We had a, a great little spiel from uh, Jail. You know, I think he got his message across. I think it showed out there in practice today. Guys are focused. Um, big thing this week is just execution across the board. Obviously you guys know um, that you need to play better, but but does it take sometimes more and, and just maybe some internal looking to get that message across, whether it's a, uh-huh. a, a general manager speaking to you or, or something Yep, like yep. Um, emotion, energy, and execution. Those are the three E's that, that uh, Dickie wants us to put emphasis on this week. And, um, yeah, I think each guy's got to look at themselves individually, um, see where they can improve, and, and go from there. Three hours of the hottest sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Welcome back inside the cage. Michael Ball along with Blaine Wyland. We're pleased to be joined on the Western Pizza Hotline by a regular contributor from the baseball world, the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, Ben Wagner. Now, you're the baseball expert when it comes to both of us, but I tell you what, I said Arizona and Philly and Texas and Houston, and so far so good for me. Let's start with Texas. They absolutely <laughs> smashed Baltimore. Incredible, isn't it? I mean, it looked like a 101-win Baltimore Orioles team oozing with confidence, and the layoff to line everything up to be proper ran into a buzzsaw, didn't it, with the Texas mm-hmm. Rangers? That offense is no joke. Uh, and, and Nathan Avaldi last night um, was incredible. Got the benefit of a huge inning, obviously off of Dean Kramer in that second inning, where the Rangers really opened it up and never looked back. But that was, it felt watching it, very similar to what the Blue Jays went through in the four days where we watched the Rangers score 35 runs in the matter of 96 hours. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is a juggernaut. And everything came together for the Rangers at the right point. And this is, this is the best franchise construction in Texas, in Arlington at least, uh, in Arlington, Texas, in the last dozen years. There's there's no question about it. This is by far and away, in my mind, the best Rangers team that that has, won, been in the postseason since then, but also it's better than the 2011 team that went to the World Series. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you this, man. I love uh, Bruce Bochy. I've always liked Bruce Bochy. I think he's right there as the best manager in baseball. They got the right guy running the ship there, too. You know what? Sometimes you just need an adult in the room, and... Rangers went through a lot of different phases, a lot of different changes. Front office, the bench job, who who were going to be the leading voices in the clubhouse. 
they found the right mix with Chris Young being the general manager, former player, obviously, incredible success. Uh, Bruce Bochy coming out of retirement, literally like dusting him off right yeah. out of retirement. Um, it's almost like the conversation went, hey, do you want to stop drinking wine for a couple of months and uh, you know come out of retirement and do some baseball things? And they, they, it's the perfect marriage. It really is. And and Boach is just such an even keel dude. He talks to people like they're they're adults and they're grown men in the room. And being able to watch it up close, it is over different capacities, and spend some time with him and people that have known Boach for a really really long time. Uh, they don't get much better in the game than Bruce Bochy. Yeah. So the Philadelphia Phillies are taking it to the Braves right now. It's six to one in the top of the fifth. Uh, uh, you know the, the the Braves are the Braves. They've been good from uh, from start to finish, kind of like the Orioles. But uh, I'm not surprised. The Phillies are a good ball club. They were there last year. Well, you know what? And last year was crazy. Yeah. And the Blue Jays were trying to channel some of that magic, right, from a team that was middling in the middle of the season and then trying to get in as a wild card and then just steamroll everybody else. That's what the Phillies did that last year. Now, this year, they're not intimidated by Atlanta. A lot of teams, I think, are worried about Atlanta, the number of tools that they have, the speed, the power, the pitching, of course. Philly gives no indication that they're worried about anything that Atlanta can bring them, Uh, especially when you you poke the bear a little bit, and we saw in the last 24 hours, how would you like to be Bryce Harper waking up today? You know, like Bryce Harper finds up the chit-chat, and then all of a sudden he goes second deck. <laughs> and gives the stink eye towards Orlando Arcia around mm. his second base. Um, it, it is a team certainly very, very talented, very good. One Bryce Harper crushing it. Nicholas Castellanos in the middle of that thing is going to be a difference maker in that offense. You know, Castellanos will hit the early home run. I think it was the one that tied the game early. Um, if they get that back going, uh, and Real Muto, too, who had really struggled for the most of the year, he had a terrible year, very self-critical uh, you know what, that, that lineup gets really long if you get a couple of those guys to, you know, performing well, let alone the pitching. Um, it, it's, it's going to be an awesome series the rest of the life. So, uh, Houston, Minnesota, uh, listen, there's a black mark uh, towards the Houston franchise. We all know what it is. The trash tros, as they were called for a while. But they've come back with a vengeance, and uh, yeah, those bats are heating up. They hit four dingers yesterday. Yeah, it's nuts, and that's that's why I really think until until we see any sort of really really inconsistent play from Houston offensively with the big dudes, right? Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, mm-hmm. those dudes, those dudes are guys. They're they're alpha males in the lineup. They're alpha males in the clubhouse. Uh, they are they are different makers, difference makers. And when you don't have and you don't have everything that works your way and lined up perfectly in your your pitching plan and how to attack Houston, you're going to have some serious problems. I mean, the old accolade, Houston, you've got a problem. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, and the Minnesota Twins are finding out all about it. Uh, now, does that does that mean Minnesota's out of it? Absolutely not. They have a tremendous bullpen. They've got some pieces that, even though they're depleted in health, the Twins, I don't think, are out of it. Um but they've, they've certainly got some problems to address. And, uh, you know, going into that series against Minnesota before the Blue Jays went in there in the wild card, uh, I thought maybe, maybe, maybe it depleted and not 100% Royce Lewis. And uh, how would they deploy Jorge Polanco? And would Eddie Edward Julian be taken out of the mix because of how they're trying to construct their lineup with the DH time spell somebody else? And 
you know, Minnesota has figured it out. Credit to Rocco Baldelli in constructing that lineup. Carlos Correa obviously has been elite in the postseason once again. Clutch at the plate, can turn the game defensively. Um, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive to watch. You know, when when you look at a team that came out with all those wins stacked up against a very depleted division in the American League Central. Going toe-to-toe against the Houston Astros is nothing to sneeze at. No, for sure. Ben Wagner, the uh, great radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, joining us here for a couple of more minutes talking Major League Baseball playoffs. Um, so, you know, it's it's always great in any sport when a team can catch fire and they come out of nowhere. Um, Arizona Diamondbacks kind of did that at the start of the year. I don't think anybody thought that they would have this kind of year. Maybe you did. I certainly didn't. And uh, they've carried it over to the playoffs, and they've got the Dodgers on the brink. It, I mean, pushed them right to the edge, right? I was not – I thought they would be improved. I thought they would be good. I thought Lourdes Goriel Jr. would certainly make an impact in that offense. I had no idea Gabriel Moreno was going to perform like an all-star. I really didn't. Um, and it, that goes in multiple layers, too. And I was talking with Tori Lovello when they were in Toronto, and I asked specifically about a couple of things that you had heard murmurs about and, def- and where, where Gabby came up deficient in working with the veteran pitching staff and how he was handling kind of being an everyday guy. And would he be able to find some consistency behind the plate? game calling and really handle a pitching staff and as it was forced to change how he would adapt and somebody got to him because they said they put the right people around Gabriel Moreno to put him in the best possible position to succeed and certainly he's been able to do that because you need a lot of things with your primary catcher that you're leaning on for offensive production and he can change a game with his arm, too, because Gabriel Moreno has an amazing cannon behind the plate, uh, let alone then to execute a game plan, to go out there and then on the fly handle with what's being presented from a pitching staff. And he's had a, guy, a couple of guys that are having remarkable years in that pitching staff. But to put it all together and keep it consistent and be the primary guy behind the plate has been nothing short of remarkable. And that's a credit to the Diamondbacks for getting the right guys around Gabriel Moreno as he's going through – what, what really is his first big splash. It's certainly his first 162 going wire to wire. And coming in there with all the number one prospect type, the big trade, of course, with trying to lengthen this lineup, get it a better balance. Mike Hazen did a remarkable job in executing the trade. I don't think certainly the Blue Jays got fleeced in this. Dalton Varsha did not have a great year offensively. He did everything else perfectly for the Blue Jays. But this is the right combination where both teams should have won it. And two guys that we're certainly familiar with with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno right there in the thick of it offensively helping the Diamondbacks make it the biggest upset of the end. I thought they would finish third in the division. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I know your allegiance to the Padres and mm-hmm. the big Brinks truck that's sitting right there yeah. on, on San, in San Diego uh, next to the Los Angeles Dodgers, but to, to see them go toe-to-toe and really turn the tide in that series is something else. Ben, thanks for your time, man. We'll check in with you next week. My pleasure. Talk to you then. Enjoy the baseball. Yeah, I will. Ben Wagner joining us, radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll come back, and uh, Blaine and I will chop up the NFL and some other topics of the day. You're listening to the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back to the Sports Cage. Michael Ball, Blaine Weil, and Sean Kleisinger is back in the chair tomorrow, and he's going to be... Hosting along with Blaine Wyland, who will uh, 
Co-hosting with him as I'm off to Calgary for the big game on Friday, Riders and the Stamps. Fans uh, texting me and they're kind of upset because the MVP package is about to expire for the Riders. That's where they had the season ticket holders sign at a discount or, or more inexpensive price, I guess. I never like to use the word cheap. Uh, but now, of course, Blaine, the PST gets tacked on and they boost the price to get in line with other season ticket prices. So there you go. Uh, fans are mad about that. And, uh, you know, kind of that angst, I think, kind of ties into the record that uh, they're seeing right now on the field. So I don't know. I think... Uh, these are interesting times in Rider Nation. Let's put it that way. Uh, hopefully they can come up with a big win on um, Friday against the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, Pats are in action tonight against the Calgary Hitmen. Our pregame show starts at 6.35. 7 o'clock is the faceoff. The third in their series of alumni posters will be handed out. Or Eberly was poster one. Steel poster two, and tonight we'll, well, we'll unveil poster three right around Pat Chat at 5.30 because we'll have the uh, guy who's on the poster join us, okay? Um, also, Edmonton announcing that next year they're going to close the upper deck at Commonwealth Stadium, so that 60,000-seat stadium will now be reduced to 31,000, which is a nice size for the CFL, and hopefully Trey Ford and the rest of uh, the uh, Elks can get their you-know-what together to get some interest back in which uh, still a good football market, just that they were so disgruntled over the last little bit, had that miserable losing skid that was ended, and Trey Ford won a couple of games on home turf back-to-back, and he has shown flashes. Still got things to learn, but uh, you wonder what they would have done had he been in the lineup a lot sooner than that. Um, okay, so let's get to our... Uh, I got some power rankings here uh, for the NFL, okay? See if you agree with this. At number 10, I got the Browns. They're coming off a bye. Deshaun Watson should be back. Miles Garrett's on the limp. I don't know if he's going to play. They play your Niners. I put the Browns here because basically I think they could beat the Ravens, Cowboys, and Colts right now, I think. So that's why I've got them. And besides uh, besides the Bucks, I've got the Colts as my pleasant surprise team right now. How about you? Besides the Bucks. Besides the Bucks, my uh, pleasant surprise team is the Colts. I didn't expect much of them. Yeah, yeah, I put the Colts up there. Although they could be in trouble now with Anthony Richardson out for a few weeks. He looks like he's promising, but three of his four starts he hasn't finished. Yeah, that's one thing that yeah the injury concerns already piling up for the first year quarterback are definitely concerning. But uh, yeah, I put the Colts as a pleasant surprise. So if you take your coach Kyle Shanahan out and. Is it Nick Sirianni, the coach of the uh, Eagles? Take those two guys out. The coach of the year early on for me, other than Tampa's coach, is that Bowles? Yep, Todd Bowles. It's got to be Mike Tomlin. He's got no offense there with that quarterback, and they're they're in first place in the in the AFC North right now. <sighs> Think about that. I, I just can't believe that that they're actually in first place because they have played some. They've played some bad football. Yeah, I mean, but everyone, got, everyone in that division has played some bad but football. But he's got it. He's still got them held together there. I'm just talking through four or five weeks, okay? He's not going to be at the end of the year. Tampa, I got at nine. Baker Mayfield looks pretty good right now, man. He's got the seven touchdowns versus two interceptions. He and the Bucks are surprising right now. I got them at nine. At number eight here, got to find it. I got uh, the Jags. Wide receiver Calvin Ridley's been back from the betting scandal. 22. Two catches, 333 yards, and he's really helped after coming over from the Falcons. At uh, seven, I got the Seahawks. Uh, you know, you got a guy like uh, 
Devon Witherspoon has been a surprise. Obviously not the Pete Carroll. He took him number five overall. Witherspoon was the NFC Defensive Player of the Week in Week 4. One interception, two sacks, and a nasty attitude that the Seahawks love. At six, I got the Bills. I think they get a pass for last week, just what we said. Jags were in London for two weeks. They came there late. But uh, they need a they need a game to get them right. Fortunately for them, the Giants are on their schedule. So I got them at six. I got the Chiefs at five. They got a good young defense. They got the best quarterback in the league. And they got Travis Kelsey, who's getting older. But do they, does their offense really scare you? Yeah, I know they got Pacheco, but I think they're five right now. How about you? I'm just thinking off the top of my head, three and four are going to be... Because four, I got Detroit. Detroit's playing yeah. pretty good football right now with Jared Goff and their second-round tight end, Sam Laporta, is one of the best rookies in the league right now. Their offense is averaging 29.6 points a game. At three, I got the Dolphins. They're the fastest team in the league. Uh, I don't know that they'll win any more than one playoff game because they'd get pushed around kind of like some of these other teams. Like your team would push them around. Philly'd push them around. Buffalo already pushed them around. At two, I got the Eagles. Like I told you yesterday, they're dominating both lines of scrimmage, and that's why they're winning and they're about the only team that I think can go punch for punch with your team right now if everything stays the same and there are no injuries which we know there will be your team's the best I don't think it's particularly close but the sad thing is it's October not February the 49ers number one would you agree with pretty well that top 10 I don't think you put the Cowboys in the top 10 you can't put my Chargers in the top 10 the Ravens are just outside the top 10 yeah maybe I don't know about the Browns at 10 and but yeah, there's that division's just been ugly this year. For the most part, I'd agree. Maybe flip flop. I might put Kansas City ahead of the well. I know Detroit, Detroit beat Kansas Detroit City. Detroit beat Kansas City. So that's why I did it. But power rankings are it's all about prisoners of the moment. And the moment, yeah. And who knows? I mean, even though it's been a few weeks. Dude, it, we saw the penalty. Minnesota got ripped off at the end of that game. Yeah, and the and the they shouldn't have beat the Jets either. No, no and, the not, refs, and the refs helped them out there too. No, I'm talking myself actually knocking the Chiefs down below the Bills actually now that I think about it. Yeah, more maybe more. the Bills. I could put the Bills at five and the Chiefs uh, at six. Yeah, I feel like that. Yeah. I, I feel the Bills The Bills were my Super Bowl team to begin with the year. Yeah. And I, like you said, I give them a pass Ch- for that check Jacksonville this game. Out. Corey Atkinson in our news booth is a Detroit Lions fan. He is so giddy. He's probably pumped that we put them at number four. Uh, we'll take a break. Be back with his news and more. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Sports Talk lives here. Welcome to another hour of the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. And welcome back to the show, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. Thanks for making us part of your day. Tell your friends. You can check us out in podcast form wherever you get your podcast. Give us a Google review. We always love those. And uh, yeah, Michael Ball with Blaine Wyland here. This guy's Regina football royalty. I put the likes of like Jason Claremont, Neil Hughes, these kind of guys in this, uh, you know, um, John Ryan in this realm. And this guy here has won three Grey Cups, two with the Montreal Alouettes, one with your Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 2013. He has played for the Thunder. He has played for the Huskies. He has coached the Huskies. I'm actually doing the Thunder dinner tonight over at the Canaxis Art Center when I'm done here. So looking forward to that. Celebrating the 10th anniversary of their only championship. They won it the same year. Paul Waldo won a great cup with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But Paul, you weren't at the celebrations. You were in Minnesota watching the Vikings and Chiefs. 
I sure was. I mean, I did make the uh, the gala, so I, I wasn't there for all the festivities, but uh, I was able to to catch a couple of days and um, and yeah, the Chief Viking game. Let me tell you, it was something else. Let yeah. me tell you. Yeah, you know, and uh, you'd be a great guy to talk to about this. Actually, our, our buddy Perry Nias, Mason's dad, who you know yeah, well, he. He was at the game with his family. They were surprised in his older son, Tristan, with a uh, 30th birthday gift. But oh, he nice. said, he said, and he agrees with me, the CFL game's better. You just go to the NFL. The, the NFL game's icing. It's everything around it. You're exactly right. I just couldn't believe how much of a production it was. You know, we got in there really early, a couple hours before, um, before game time. My, my kid's a big Patrick Mahomes guy, and he wanted to catch all the warm-ups and so forth. So... Just seeing the amount of people that were on the field from the sports broadcasters to, gosh, it was, I mean, it was, it was quite, quite incredible to just, like I said, see the, the production, you know, the DJ going on before you got, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a show. It's a, it's a, it's a quite the show. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And that's, I kind of would love to see us. It's not the riders fault. I'd love to see us, uh, you know, party in the park's nice, but they've got a perfect setup there for tailgating. I wish we could oh, tailgate here, hey? Wouldn't it be great? Oh, it'd be it would be amazing. I mean, I just couldn't see, you know, being at being over at the game this past weekend there, like I mean, there's there's over a hundred thousand people. Um, you know, literally tailgating in parking lots, and I, I just couldn't see why we we would be able to do that if our setup was a little bit better. Yeah. So, Paul, you weren't at you weren't at the game, the Ryder game, but it was a it was a it wasn't a good it wasn't good. Let's just put it that way. Were you shocked by the uh, the score and evidently the uh, I don't want to say lack of effort, but they just were yeah. flat. Were you surprised the flatness of the team? You know, I was um, just with all the. Uh, you know the 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 energy and like you said you had obviously that the passing of the, the the greatest rider in history and you know I just felt like it was such an emotional week I know for myself getting back and being reunited with my teammates and being around the facility and getting a chance to go to practice and watch the guys practice on their on their day three and we just we felt like the energy was there we felt like it was a pretty emotional week and I mean you know taking all that away from everything I mean they're they're fighting for a playoff live so it was, yeah it was. Yeah, it was it was just strange to kind of see, you know, them to come out as flat as they were. Now I know I know Hamilton's on on quite the tear now, but um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, if your GM came into your locker room like Jeremy O'Day did this week, how would you take that? Uh, um, you know, that, that, that's always an interesting it's an interesting dynamic depending on what that relationship is like. You know, we had you know Jim Pop early in my career when I was in Montreal would would be known to come in and you know adjust the team on, on certain things but you know from there on in it was it was mark that came in and mark was our guy from from day one and he would adjust the team and that's just the way it went so i'm not exactly sure what what the dynamic was with, with jail going in there this week was was that that was his past week where he went in there yeah but, yeah and i um, think it was more of a it was more of a pep talk type deal yeah well i mean i think you know looking at a guy like jail he's played in the league 14 15 years i think he's a is he a Hall of Famer or potentially a future Hall of Famer? So I think a guy like him, you can you can resonate because I think at the end of the day, you know, Dickie's got to address that team every day for six months or whatever it is, right? And so it's never a bad idea to try to find the motivation from somebody else or, or, or a different angle, a different approach. And, and a guy like J.O., you know, would make sense because, like I said, he's been on all aspects of it. And it's not like he retired from football. We'll get, 30 years ago. We'll get you know? your uh, Waldo Warriors in a second. Paul, it, 
how do you get confidence back? Blaine's been asking the guys that this week. Is it something that happens in practice? Is it something that's self, uh, you know, self-taught or self-generated, or is it something that it just something good happens in a game and you gotta you gotta all celebrate it? Uh, and and yeah. I guess and I guess conversely, how do you stop? Because it seems like this team has no confidence in the fact that if something bad happens, it turns into three or four or five bad things. And they can't rebound. And, you know, the frustrating thing is, you know, I was, I was chatting with um, who would it have been? I actually think it was Jordan Hughes, you mm-hmm. know, during the game or during practice that day. And I said, listen, he said, you know, it'd be one thing because I've been on teams that were 15 and 3, and I've been on a team that was 13, 3 and 15. You know, and that, that 3 and 15 team, it just felt like it just, no matter what, you couldn't do it. You know, but conversely, I mean, the Riders, they've gone, they've beaten two of, you know, the top teams in the league back-to-back pretty handedly, in my opinion, in both, um, you know, Winnipeg and BC. So they've done it, right? So it's not like it hasn't been done before. So it's not like you got to reach out of the sky for a miracle. It's just a matter of, I think, all the guys being focused, being disciplined, and and, and everybody buying in and, 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 you know, playing with that tension of urgency as opposed to maybe expecting a guy like Morrow to, to make a play or waiting for somebody else or waiting for another teammate, you know, to step up and make a play where you really got to, got to be focused and mentally ready to do that. It's kind of weird because I have the Riders ninth in my power rankings, yet they can yeah. clinch a playoff spot. I have them two back at Calgary. Calgary's been reeling a little less than the Riders, so let's go with Waldo's Warriors this week. Who do you got on offense for the Riders to be successful in Calgary? You know, it's got to be, I think, you know, and I've gone back and forth. I think I you know, I was thinking about, you know, uh, Mr. Shake and Bake, you know, Keen Shake and Bake. And the thing about him is I just feel like he hasn't really been able to get involved as much as we've known mm-hmm. him to be, you know, looking at last season. Um, but he's kind of like my honorable mention. It, it, it's got to be Jake. It's got to be Jake. The guy, the guy throwing the ball, the guy touches the ball every place. Yeah. He's really got a number one protect the ball, and he's just got to let it go, and he's got to be able to move the ball down the field and play like he did in those back-to-back games. And kind of just let it all hang loose and and not worry about really managing managing anything. To be honest with you, yeah, you you hit the nail right in the head. I do believe that too. Okay, on defense, who's Waldo Warrior? You know, I mean, for me, it, it goes back to the guy right in the middle. Um, it, to me, it's the guy who's probably played the most consistent football in that entire defense all year, and that would be probably Larry Dean. Um, we know he's a tackling machine. We know he's all over the field, but to me. He's the guy that ignites everybody else around him. He's, he's been around. He's done it. He's done it at the highest level. And he just seems to be the most consistent guy. And I hope the rest of the guys can feed off of, of, what, of what Larry Dean does in the middle. We heard Blaine Wyland talk to Micah Johnson earlier. He's been outstanding at 35 years old, playing in the middle, sometimes playing outside on that D-line. He's been great, too. Yeah, he has. I think he's had a bit of a bounce back um, you know, year in comparison to... I think a couple of years ago when they re-signed him for big money, he wasn't really overly productive. And then, you know, him arguably having a bit of a down here in Hamilton last year. So he's really come back and, and turned it on. It's been good to see. Okay, and your Waldo's warrior for special teams. Uh, Mr. Mario Alford, for sure. He, um, the team's going to have to find ways to score points. And I think, you know, he did it a couple of weeks ago. I believe that was the Ottawa game. And mm-hmm. then he sparked, I think, what had a bit of a little comeback towards the end of that game. And I think... 
I think he's got to be the difference maker, and hopefully he can get going early. I'm trying to be positive here. So we've got the juggernaut in the East and in the league, Toronto. You've got Winnipeg, which I think they're probably going to win the West. That game last Friday, they basically won the West because yeah. I don't see either Saskatchewan or BC going in to beat Winnipeg because they can't right. run the ball consistently. Right, Str- yeah. Stranger things have happened. You got yeah. uh, you got a Hamilton team at home, they, a home grade cup, so you got them maybe. Uh, BC's a bit in the mix, and Saskatchewan could be a long shot, so it could be an interesting playoffs to be you know to be honest with you you know that's the crazy thing I you know it's not I always say this to anybody and everybody it's not baseball basketball or hockey you know it's not necessarily not necessarily the best team moves on right yeah one game 60 minutes you're not playing a seven game series but the better team generally you know finds a way to come out with it so you just got to be good for 60 you got to make the most most um, plays and least amount of mistakes so anybody could win so you know going back looking at this whole picture optimistically. The Riders got to go in there and do what they do this weekend in Calgary. And then once they're in, hey, anything can happen. Paul, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. We'll chat soon. Yeah, get into the real estate game with Paul over at Royal LePage and his team, 306-502-5355. Up next, Luke Mullender. You're listening to the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And I just want to point out, you heard that Pats commercial. We do have the broadcast with Dante DeCaria, the voice of the Regina Pats on our radio airwaves. We're the rights holders. 6.35 pregame show, play-by-play at 7. But our own Daniela Ponticelli, who has called Rams football before, is apparently the first lady to ever broadcast uh, on TV a, a WHL game. So she's going to be doing the game on Access Communication. So congratulations to Daniela Ponticelli. Michael Ball along with Blaine Weiland, who, by the way, I'm surrounded by voices and not just just the ones in my head. Got Sean Kleisinger, the voice of the Rams. Got Blaine Weiland, who's done some work with the Thunder before. He did some color on a Pats broadcast. He'll probably be on Access in the future doing that too. And former voice of the Estevan Bruins. So we got some multi-talented guys here who are all after my job. So there you go. Uh, let's head out on the Western Pizza Highline speak with our friend Luke Mullender. Well, Luke, the dust has settled on that debacle. We've had a chance to let it marinate. How are you feeling about this six and 10 Rough Rider team as they get set to go to do a uh, a playoff. Well, it's a playoff game in Calgary, let's be honest. Yeah, I think that uh, first and foremost, it doesn't matter what I feel about it. I mean, the team's, the team's got to be motivated, right? And I think that as a, as a former player, you know, there's a lot that goes into being able to end someone, a, a team's hope for the playoffs really early on, right? And, and, and that's that's the opportunity here for Saskatchewan is, is to take Calgary out right away. And obviously with Calgary, the uh, key to winning that football game is always going to be uh, needing to out-physical the opponent. And the nice thing is, is is that there's still some guys there in that locker room that, that are leading the way on film uh, as, to, as to that physical battle that, that takes place a game in and game out, down in and down out. I, I think that uh, a guy like Micah Johnson right now is, is a guy that I think that everybody should be looking at in that locker room as, as a guy who's leading the way. doesn't matter how little or how much Micah talks. I think that uh, everything that he does on the field embodies what you need to do to, A, get a win, but more importantly, B, uh, head into the playoffs or at least get ready for the playoffs to make a run. Hey, Luke, I think the Riders are really, they're obviously missing Trevor Harris, we know that, but they're missing Roland Milligan, and they're missing, you know who actually didn't get a lot of credit? I thought Miles Brown was starting to play good football. They're missing him in the interior, that D-line, too. 
Oh, Miles Brown has been a huge loss. I mean, he was playing really well. Um, I would say that amongst that interior group, he was the next best player next to um, Micah Johnson, and that's saying a lot because they got a couple guys with some experience. Obviously, Marcus Christmas and Charbel come to mind right right off the bat. Uh, I think that obviously Roland Milligan. I mean, we got to remember that this is a guy that the team committed to in the offseason, so he was definitely part of the plans. But more importantly, he's a fantastic football player, and I think that that's one of the reasons why. Um, you know, uh, one of the many reasons why the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is really struggling defensively right now. At this point, uh, I mean, it, this has got to be player driven now, doesn't it? You've been in these locker rooms, uh, maybe not to this extent where the slide's been this bad, but it's got to be player driven now, right? It's on the leaders, it's on these guys. The answers are in that locker room or they're not. Well, you know, in every single locker room, um, there's there's sort of three phases. Uh, the, 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 the one thing that can't be lost on this team is that there, there, there is a leadership opportunity in every single element that these guys are doing. You know, there, there's the ability to lead from the front like Micah Johnson's doing. There's the ability to be a guy that, that brings the guys who just aren't getting it in, in the back and bring them to the front where guys like Micah Johnson is. I look at Larry Dean as, uh, as that type of guy. I, I look at, you know, even a, even a guy who's, who's still young in his career, but a guy like Peter Godbert, right, Jamal Amaro. And, and then there's the guys that 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 are just you know those those guys who need to lead from the back and and that's just hey do your job make plays when they come to you but more importantly do your job and and to be honest with you yeah that that piece is player driven but this is on the coaches as well right the coaches have to find that extra that extra gear right now um in terms of in terms of getting a motivated performance out of this team, you know, I, I see buzzwords thrown around all the time uh, at this type of t- type of game. But more importantly, this stage in the year, you know, well, we need energy, we need emotion. You know, those things are supposed to be baked into where that you you've got guys playing with energy and emotion from the start, and that's why I point out a guy like Micah Johnson as being a key guy. That guy plays with energy and emotion every single down, you know, and 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 it's one of the things that's been lacking on this team, right? They started they started they started pretty quickly there um, last week right away, but then from that point it, it kind of died off, right? And and throughout that whole sort of drop off, I mean, Micah Johnson was still out there balling. So again. Energy, emotion, all that stuff, that needs to be baked into your system far before uh, you get to the point like this. But the good thing is, is if it's not completely baked into your system, there's still guys that are, that are leading the way in that category. And you just need, and maybe that's the thing, right? Coaches need to point out guys like Micah Johnson that, that are doing that um, and being, because again, guys, that's the thing. I, 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 you know, I paid attention to the media over the last couple of weeks, right? And, and, and Ballsy, like the one thing that, that people are forgetting is there's still a huge element of hope here. This team can still go to the playoffs. And I'm not just talking about being a a one-and-done team. Like, if you get to the dance, you can make it happen. It's just, man, I think that, you know, again, if you're in that locker room, you've just got to look to the right guy right now. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of guys that got it around me when I was young, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the guys that got it when I was a little bit older. 30 seconds or less, Luke. Uh, On October the 10th, well, October 11th, sorry, 2023 at 526. When we are done on Friday after the broadcast, will the Riders have a playoff spot? Yeah, yeah, I think they will. And again, I, you know, that's just me as an analyst. But again, I, I see tons of motivating factors there still, still in play. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, Calgary is not a very good football team. They, they, they 
They turn the football over. I, I think that I think that this team right now can beat the Calgary Stampeders. But again, just go back to the fundamentals in your foundation. Be physical, alignment, assignment, execution. Let's go get a win. Let's get back on the plane. Let's go and do the same thing in Toronto. And then let's spend the bye week mentally preparing to make a run that nobody saw coming. That's the theme. I agree 100%. Preach it, Luke. We'll talk to you on the plane tomorrow. Yeah, I'll see you on the bus. Uh, yeah, that's good. And hopefully they let us on the plane. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Time now for your sports ticker, and it's brought to you by our good friends over there at uh, Busy Bee. And uh, when we're talking about Busy Bee, we'll tell you that they'll repair or replace your residential or commercial garage door so you don't get stuck in or out, catch the buzz. Busy Bee doors, the garage door specialist. NHL already underway. First period sends in Carolina up one nothing. Canadians at the Leafs up one nothing. Still to come tonight, Oilers at Canucks, Jets at Flames. And Connor Bedard continues his action with the Blackhawks there in Boston for the Bruins home opener. Major League Baseball, Astros and Twins are tied at one mid-second in Minnesota. Astros can win that series and the Phillies looking to go up two games to one and the Braves are up 7-2 on home turf bottom of the sixth that's your sports ticker the kings of Saskatchewan sports talk this is the sports cage on 620 CKRM all right, uh, welcome back to the show. And yeah, we told you about the alumni poster being handed out today. The uh, third in a series of six. The first was Jordan Everly. The second was Sam Steele. And the third, Jake LeCision, who joins us on the Western Pizza Hotline. He's with the Hartford Wolfpack right now of the American Hockey League. Uh, welcome to the show, Jake. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So when you think of your time with the Regina Pats, what immediately pops to mind, Jake? Oh, there's a lot of good memories that come to mind. Uh, I think the first would be hosting the Memorial Cup there, and uh, it was a, a great team we had there, and it's uh, coming up short. But, uh, yeah, that was probably the biggest memory I'll have leaving Regina. Yeah, you know, you can win a lot of hockey tournaments as a young guy coming uh, coming up and excelling as a pro as you are. But uh, how much does that linger with you, the disappointment? I mean, it's nice to host it and be in it and everything that comes with it, but then just coming up a tad short. Yeah, it sucks, and it kind of sticks with you, you know, in that uh, you're really just one game away from winning it all, and uh, it's uh, unfortunate reality of uh, the Memorial Cup. you got to win every possible game pretty much to win it all. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, for us, finishing it second, I guess, was, uh, I guess, a good accomplishment, but obviously not what we were looking for. How was it to come to Regina when your dad, Curtis, played for the Saskatoon Blades, a top pick in the NHL? Did you have to – was there a little transition there to get the Blades out of you and the Pats into you? Um, maybe a little bit, but it didn't take too long. Uh, I guess my dad coached a little bit too for the, Bla- for the Blades, so I was uh, around the rink a little bit when I was younger. And then going to Regina, I wasn't too far from home, which was nice. So uh, Regina felt like uh, home right away and uh, – I was really fortunate to end up playing there for most of my career. I've asked uh, everybody, the, the other two guys, Steele and, of course, Eberly, if they missed, uh, you know, when you're playing, maybe you don't want to go on those long bus rides, but uh, do you miss those long bus rides, uh, you know, junior hockey, the, the the card games and everything that goes like that uh, with that? Yeah, there's a lot of good memories. I, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to say they missed busting across <laughs> Canada, but um, some of those memories on those buses were the moments he did this and uh yeah we had uh, some great teams and we had some great friendships throughout my 
time in Regina, and so that's what I'll miss the most. Who are your best friends in the team, and do you still stay in touch with them, Jake? Yeah, I still uh, keep in touch with quite a few guys. Uh, well, Sam and I live together, um, so mm-hmm. Sam and I are pretty close, as well as uh, Nick Henry, Robbie Holmes, uh, Bryce Platt. There's a lot of guys I can name right now, but uh, yeah, there's guys that are I'm still – in contact with and close with, and mm-hmm. it all goes back to those days in Regina. Former NHLer is Curtis Lecision, third overall pick in the in the draft back in the day. I believe when Sa- when Linden and Medano went in that draft, your dad was third of the Quebec Nordiques, went to Colorado, won the Stanley Cup. So hockey runs in your blood. How much has your dad helped you during your hockey career? Maybe even with just advice. Yeah, he's been huge. Uh, he's been uh, a great mentor for me in my career, and. Uh, yeah, he's coached me a couple of times when I was younger. And um, I think the biggest thing for him was just letting me kind of enjoy the game and and uh, kind of figure it out myself and just give me little tips here and there. And uh, he wasn't a guy that ever pushed me too hard, which was nice. And uh, I think that's a big reason as to why I enjoy hockey so much. And I'm fortunate to be making a living out of it now. But, uh, yeah, he's still um, – involved in my career till this day and uh yeah just really really fortunate with the uh new york rangers outfit now and you're playing with the hartford Wolfpack. what are what are things like in hartford and how are things going for you so far jake yeah so we uh I just finished up camp and moving into regular season now uh thought i got a pretty good camp in new york and so uh it sucks being sent down but uh we're ready to get it going here in hartford and i think we'll have a good team so um Biggest thing here is just work hard and enjoy your time here and work for a call-up. Yeah, so what, what what do they say to you? Because, hey, this pro sports thing is not easy, as you're finding out very quickly. And and there is no straight line to success. So you're sent down. What did the Rangers say to you when they sent you down? What do they want you to work on? And maybe what do you want to work on personally to get back? Yeah, they uh, emphasize me uh, being good on face-offs and uh, killing penalties and so I think it even goes back to kind of what my role looked like uh, and maybe with that 2018 Regina Pats team it's uh, something I try to build off of and um, I'm hoping that I can make it uh, in the NHL with those uh, trades so um, got to prove it again here in the NHL and uh, yeah just be ready we hope you do too man and we can't wait the first 1500 fans get your poster today Three in a series of six. Do you, by the way, last question. Do you keep any memorabilia of your playing days to this point? Uh, maybe a couple cards, but uh, yeah, I might have to snag one of those posters somehow. I'll snag you one, okay? All right. Well, thank you. Jake, thanks for this, man. Good luck in Hartford. Good luck getting back up to the, uh, to the big leagues at the NHL level, okay? All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
All right, time to head on the Western Pizza Hotline. Speak with one of the uh, broadcasters on the Calgary Flames Radio Network, the Fan 960. Pat Steinberg does excellent work there. Also at CFL.ca, so you know we'll get into a little three-down talk. But let's uh, talk about the Calgary Flames, first of all. First time on the show with me. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking time out of a busy day. Good to be here, man. I, uh, I'm i a big fan from a province over. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. So the preseason's finally over. How has this team responded to the new head coach, Pat? So far, so good, I think. Um, I think that what we've seen is a team that is a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more positive. Um, there's a different vibe around this group. There's no doubt about it. And And last year was miserable. Last year was a a really frustrating year and a year that I think players wanted to forget as, as soon as humanly possible. And so for that reason, I think you bring in a new coach, you bring in a new general manager and both guys kind of exude a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of positivity. I think that gives you a different vibe right from the get go. And then when you mix in the fact that there are a lot of players on this team who want to prove that what happened last year where they missed the playoffs and and fell short of expectations by a significant margin, I think they want to prove that last year's narrative was not what they're all about. And so whether it's Jonathan Huberdeau or Nazem Kadri or uh, Noah Hannafin or Elias Lindholm, Mark, Jacob Markstrom, players that maybe had down years last year. I think they're all out to prove that, hey, you know what? No, this is this is a good team. And what people were saying about us coming into last year is legit. That we're we're a team that you know we believe we can be one of the better teams in the Western Conference. So that remains to be seen, and it remains to be seen what a new vibe and what a new um, kind of more positive approach how it actually translates on the ice, but definitely for three weeks at training camp, it's been a, a very markedly different feeling group. And now tonight we see how that plays out, starts to play out anyway, when it comes to results that matter. I think Calgary takes a playoff spot uh, at the expense of Winnipeg, in my opinion, as they match up tonight. I've got, um, I, I think Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, and I think Ottawa squeaks in. I got four of the seven making the playoffs from Canada. How many do you have making the playoffs from Canada? Okay, so Edmonton for sure. I think Calgary finds a way to squeak in. I think Toronto for sure. Uh, so that's three. Now I'm a little more I'm a little more bullish on Winnipeg, and the reason why is that I am not a big believer in Minnesota, mm-hmm. especially right off the get go with the injuries they have. They're already thin on the blue line. I'm still not sold on their goaltending as strong as it was at times last year. So I think Winnipeg even has an opportunity to get in as potentially one of those three central spots. So I'm going to go, I I think Ottawa's pushing. I think Ottawa's close, but I don't have them in. Uh, I don't think, I know a lot of people look at Vancouver as a group that is ready and, and poised to take a next step. I still don't buy the Canucks. So I think Edmonton for sure. I think Toronto for sure. And then I've got Calgary and Winnipeg as kind of middle of the pack. And and for the Flames, maybe more of a wild card situation uh, getting in. So I've got Winnipeg is as the three in the central. Mm -hmm. I've got Calgary as one of the two wild cards. 
and then Edmonton and Toronto as as my check mark. So I'm at I'm at four of seven as well. Uh, okay, and I, I can't argue with what you said there, and uh, I uh, I bow to your hockey expertise as opposed to mine. I'm more into the gridiron, although I do love my my hockey and. And shall I say I'm an Oilers guy, but uh, I respect what the Flames are doing. I think they are going to have a bounce back here. Uh, speaking of uh, Calgary, staying with that, uh, you know, football's the most, or uh, quarterback's the most important position in North American sports, in my opinion, but the goaltender in hockey would be a close second to me. Markstrom, he's got a bounce back, and I think he will. Yeah. I do too. Um, the question is to what extent. So it's really like Jacob Markstrom's last two years have been. Very strange in that last year, the worst year of his starting career, the year before the best year, mm-hmm. and, and really in both cases, not even close. So when you're talking about Jacob Markstrom bouncing back, I try to take the last two years out of the equation. I don't think he's going to be the 892 goalie he was last year. I don't think he's going to be the nine shutouts, 920 goaltender he was the year before. I think you start to look at Jacob and say, okay, what are his career norms? And he's usually in the 55 to 60 start range and and he's usually around the 912 save percentage range. And if you can get that from him this year, I think the Flames give themselves a much better chance of making the playoffs. And then also important in this is is Dan Vladar, his backup, because both guys struggled pretty mightily last year. Both guys had, had down years. Calgary was a bottom third team in terms of team save percentage and team goaltending. So when you take into account both sides, both, both goaltenders, they both need bounce back years. But of all the players that need bounce back years for the Flames this year. And there's a lot of them. Jonathan Huberto had the most historic year over year points drop in NHL history. And Lindholm had a damn year. And Andrew Mangiapane went from scoring 35 to scoring 17. And that was a big drop. But to me, there's no question that it starts with Jacob Markstrom and, and, and probably almost inarguably so. They cannot have bottom third NHL goaltending if they want to be a playoff team. They cannot have their six million dollar goaltender being in the 70s and 80s when it comes to his overall save percentage so he needs to be better and he he even has a different demeanor like he is a different guy this year so i think he will have a bounce back here it's just i'm expecting him to bounce back into the 912 915 range and not be back to being a runner-up for the Vesna Trophy, because I do think that was a, a career season. I had Bob Stoffer from the Oilers Radio Network on the show earlier, asked him which younger Oiler will be uh, you know, a standout and make an impact. He said Dylan Holloway. So I'll ask you the same thing. Which younger player will have the most impact on the Flames this year? Well, the easy answer is Matt Coronado, because he mm-hmm. uh, he's a first-round pick from 2021, made the team out of camp, was their leading scorer in preseason, and and has generally had himself a really, really good run here. And I think that he's a player to keep an eye on. But he's, you know, I, I think he's going to hit a wall, and I think there's going to be the, the rookie growing paints and all that type of stuff. So the player that I'll point to is Dylan Dubé. And, you know, I, I still think he counts as, as one of the yeah. young players on this team. And why I say that is because, Every year he's taken a step and every year he's gotten a little bit better and he's added a little bit to his point, a little bit more to his point total. And, and this year I feel like is the year that it really kind of all comes together and pops for Dylan. Uh, he's going to start on the right side of their 
top line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberdeau. So he's getting an opportunity to be in a high leverage spot right away. And he's historically played well with Lindholm as his center. And he's historically looked very comfortable playing with him. So I, I think Lindholm's going to get, I think Dubé rather is going to get lots of looks this year and lots of different opportunities to really pop. So Coronado's the easy one. And I think, I think having, you know, 15, 20 goals out of a rookie in Coronado is not out of the question. But I, I think if Dylan Dubé, if we were to see him move towards the 20 goals, 50, 55 points range this year, would not surprise me at all. And that would be a really big boost for him. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go with Dylan Dubé on that one. This is the outstanding Pat Steinberg from the uh, 960, the fan in Calgary, Flames radio host, also does some work at CFL.ca. So let's shift gears. Friday, yeah, it's the uh, Riders and the Stampeders. In the past, we'd say this is an epic battle. It is not that way right now. Pat, I hate, I hate to put it that way, but it's true. Calgary's having one down year for the first time in like 17 or 18. The Riders are in the midst of two down years here. Hopefully for them, they can win the game and get to the playoffs. But what do you make of these two teams? Well, it's the most important game I can remember between uh, combined 10 wins for two teams. Mm. Um, cause it, it really, like, it's the only playoff spot still up for grabs. And there, there is a lot riding on this game. And yet in a lot of ways, it feels like a turtle derby because the riders are in the skid they're in, the stampeders are in the skid they're in. And what, what I guess heartens me a little bit is that the two times they've played this year, the games have been bonkers. The game like that, that game's mm-hmm. last one at McMahon Stadium was a lot of fun to be at. And then obviously Calgary won with the walk off at Mosaic a couple of weeks later. So like both games they've played have been really competitive and full of like really awesome and, and highlight real worthy moments. So I'm hoping we at least get that again. What do I make of the game? I, I, I honestly don't know because I, I, I don't know what to expect on any given night from Jake Mayer and this offense. They've been so pedestrian of late. They've been so, so unwilling to stretch the field. And so because of that, I, I don't know what you can actively expect from from this offense. Um, and, and it seems like all year when one element of Calgary's game is on, the other one is the complete opposite. So they've had nights where Micah Awe and, and Cam Judge and, and Mike Rose and, and some of their playmakers who are in all-star conversations have great nights and the offense can't get it done. Or then there'll be a night where Jake Mayer goes off for 470 and throws three touchdowns and, and looks like the guy the Stampeders need him to be, and they can't make a stop. And so they've had such a hard time having every facet play even close to in sync this year that you, you never know what to expect from the Stamps. So, I I mean, right now, I, I, I think the Stampeders are the team that um, is, is maybe, and, and it's funny to say, it feels like maybe they're reeling a little bit less just because mm-hmm. it's they, they've been so close in a lot of these games, whereas on the Sask side, there's been a lot of high totals put up against them, and some of these games have kind of been games that are going away wins for the other team. It maybe feels like the Stamps are reeling a little less, and that's why over at .ca I chose the Stamps to win this game, but I think it's close, Mike. I think it's another one-possession game. I think it's right down to the wire, and 
it's crazy what happens if the Stamps win this game. All of a sudden, it's buckle up. And obviously, the Riders can punch their ticket to either BC or Winnipeg if they win. So I think we should see, at the very least, the most urgent game we've seen from both of these teams in a long time. Absolutely. Last question for you, and I'll let you go on a busy day. So, uh, yeah. I don't fire anybody on this show, uh, but I will say our our coach Dickinson could be in some uh, trouble if things don't go the right way here. How about the coach Dickinson, his brother in Calgary? I would think he gets uh, a one year's grace that they they've had a pretty consistent program there. I I think so too. I think that you know if this ends the way it's trending and they're a non playoff team, I still think he gets some grace. I think one of the things that'll help is. Just how and, and the riders have been very similar. I mean, they mm-hmm. you lose you lose the guy that you know they, they went out centered their off season around in Trevor Harris, and that, that's a significant loss. And the Stamps have dealt with significant injuries and significant names on the sixth game all year. So I think that gives him a little bit of grace, and it's also his first year as general manager too. So I just I think they give him a little bit. Of, of extra time, a little more leash. There's no doubt that this has not gone over well. There's no doubt that this has been a disappointing season, and we're not used to this in red and white in this city because, as you mentioned, it's been almost two decades of this mm-hmm. being a playoff team automatically. But I think he gets another year, and I think he should. You know, just the, the track record that he's got, it probably makes sense to not make a hasty decision once this season comes to an end. Pat, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Enjoy the hockey game tonight. Hey, thank you, Mike. That was awesome.